for today's sermon, too. We're in 2 Samuel, uh, and we'll close with Psalm 32. But David has been confronted by God through Nathan the prophet concerning his sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah. So turn with me to 2 Samuel 12, and I know we went over it last week, but it was too much. We're going to cover it again. 1 through 15, because this was probably the greatest learning experience for David in his life. His sin with Bathsheba. We learn from our sins, hopefully. And David, as we will read, sinned grievously before the Lord, but he was also very repentant before the Lord. So 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 15. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had uh, bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate with his, uh, his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And you gave and gave to you the house of Israel and Judah. If that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said today, to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because you, by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill.
God, by his Holy Spirit, sent Nathan to David. Go tell David this the story of this rich man taking a poor man's only lamb, and he kills the lamb to feed his guest. This rich man did not take one of his many sheep, but took the only lamb of this poor man. David hears the story, and his anger gets the best of him. It's greatly aroused. And he calls for the rich man to be put to death. David has an anger, but it's a self-righteous anger. He cannot see in this story, it's nothing more than a parable about himself. The irony here is it's obvious. David condemns a rich man to die for the sake of one lamb. But David cannot see his adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, her husband. He cannot see that that's a much more grievous sin until he's confronted. What a lesson for us. Our own sin will distort our judgment of others when we are caught up in similar sins. I don't know about you, but I'm quick to receive forgiveness of my sins, even my transgressions. But I can be very slow to forgive others that commit the same type of sin. First of all, to sin is an old English archery term. You shoot an arrow. If you miss the bullseye, you sin. However, transgression is willful, rebellious, knowledgeable sin. David has transgressed. He has purposely planned sin and planned the murder of Uriah. And when he sees just what we would call a minor sin by a rich man, David becomes all indignant, becomes all self-righteous. So what's the solution here? Before you throw that first stone of judgment, you might want to do a heart check of your own life. We're given an example by Jesus of how to judge, how to demonstrate uh, compassion. And that's in first, uh, not first John, but Gospel of John 8. So you might want to turn there, John 8, and we'll look at verses 1 through 12. John 8, 1 through 12. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. 
Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it be being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke of them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus, at this time, is drawing people to him. He is teaching in the temple, and people are coming out early to hear what this new prophet might have to say, and Jesus teaches them. But there's division there among the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're jealous of Jesus and his popularity. They feel threatened by Jesus. They're threatened by his popularity. So what did they do? They, they got this scheme, this plan, and they bring a woman caught in adultery into the temple and set her right before Jesus. Can you imagine the embarrassment of this lady? And they say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Moses in his law commanded us to stone her. But what do you say, Jesus? And this is a test, of course. Uh, the religious leaders want to accuse Jesus of not obeying Mosaic law. And it's a test also because Jesus' message has been mercy and grace via repentance. Jesus has been teaching, love your neighbors yourself and this kind of thing. Now the law they have misquoted, by the way, the law said you could stone her, but you were not required to stone her. It wasn't necessary to necessarily stone her. But the question, question, if this woman was caught in the act of adultery, where's the man? Caught in the act. Is not the man also guilty? So they're not concerned about justice, these religious leaders. They're concerned about trapping Jesus into saying something that was against the law. Now, Jesus could have used this as an argument. He could have said, oh, hey, you caught the woman, where's the man? 
He could have said that. You have two guilty people here. Why do you only bring the woman and set her here before me? It appears that the man was released either because he was a man in a male-dominated society, kind of like the Muslims do now, is the woman's fault no matter what, or perhaps the man was a scribe or a Pharisee. That's a possibility. But he was perhaps a good old boy. He was known by them, so they kind of turn him loose. But the point of the story for me, Jesus, the only sinless one who could condemn, does not condemn. He's left alone with this woman. And Jesus asks, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Then we have what I think is the shortest conversion prayer in all of Scripture. She says, no one, Lord. She's already made Jesus Lord of her life. She's seen him. She's encountered him. She has made him Lord. <clears throat> and the only one who could condemn sinless, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, but don't, don't continue to sin. Sin no more. Sin no more. And we look at Jesus, who does not condemn. Now compare that to David in the way he does condemn. David says of the rich sheep owner, you have wrongfully taken a ewe lamb from your poor neighbor, friend, and for that rich man you shall surely die. Rich man, you didn't show any pity. But David doesn't show any pity either, does he? He condemns the man. David is an example how any person caught up into sin is not only sin's victim, but that person is deceived by sin. David is totally deceived by his own sin. And before Nathan confronted David, David thinks he has got away with his sin. I've covered it up. Uriah's dead. Nobody will suspect anything wrong here. But Nathan confronts David at God's command. Nathan is sent to David by God. Nathan could have felt like he was on dangerous ground to confront the king of sin. Remember King Saul? who killed a whole school of prophets because the, he suspected them of helping David? He killed them. And to confront the king could be extremely dangerous. However, Nathan is obedient to God in the face of possible death. And we, we can miss that. We can overlook that. 
The question becomes, though, are you, am I silenced by what we think people think of sin? Or what is sin in our world today? What's been the headlines of late? Let me just say, Stormy Daniels, does that name ring a bell? A porn actress is accusing President Trump of wrongdoing. And the liberal press tries to show her as a victim. That's ironic to say the least. Now, I'm not trying to defend Trump, but look at his accuser. She has broken a non-disclosure agreement. She took the money, and now she wants more money, what it comes down to. We have to look sometime at who's doing the accusing and what do we stand for. In the Temple episode of this woman caught in adultery, Jesus stoops and writes on the ground. There's been a lot of speculation. What is Jesus writing on the ground? He, he stood up, stooped back down, and wrote on the ground again. Perhaps, just a thought, Jesus is writing the names of those who have committed adultery with this same woman. That's a possibility. But they leave, and they leave in the order of the oldest first to the youngest. They're silenced by their own sin. It's hard in today's society to come against sin because we have uh, used terms that make sin sound okay. Adultery. It's having an affair. Sexual sin is sleeping with someone. Homosexuality is being gay. Being a drug addict is simply being drug dependent. It's a disease. It's not a choice. I disagree with that completely. And we have the dumbing down, what I call, of sin and it's purposeful. It's an excuse to continue in sin. God had a word for it to, for David. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord? And God says, I saw your sin and David, I will judge you because of your sin. Today, here in Christian America, there are churches that are being sued for preaching and speaking against homosexuality. Pastors being prosecuted. In some liberal states, it's against the law to counsel a person to turn away from homosexual activity. Or if you're confused about your gender, don't dare try to help that person figure out their gender. It's against the law. 
you can go to certain department stores and they have taken down the sign, men or women, over the restrooms. It has been said, and I've heard it said, you cannot legislate morale issues. I beg to differ there. Alabama still has dry counties. Now, I'm not saying that's stopping somebody from drinking, but they're trying to legislate morality there. Lynchburg, Tennessee. You ever been to Lynchburg? A small little kind of pretty town. But in Lynchburg, Jack Daniels produces their whiskey. It's a dry county. You can't drink in, Lynch, in uh, Lynchburg, but they'll make it for you. <laughs> God tells David, you killed Uriah. And you've taken his wife to be your wife. David, you sinned secretly. But I will bring trouble on your whole house under the sun. Your, your house, your family, your sons in particular will sin against you, David. God tells David, I'm going to raise up adversaries against you in your own family because of your sin. David has his response. He's not like Saul. He doesn't say, I feared the people or anything like this. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And it's immediate. David doesn't have to think about it. Nathan is quick to tell David. I'm surprised at this a little bit. Your sin has been put away. God has forgiven you, David. And David will write several psalms now describing the pain of his guilt, describing his repentance. And that's Psalm 51, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 103. But I want to close just by reading one of the shorter ones, Psalm 32. Listen to David as he cries out to God because of his sin. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they shall come near him. You are my hiding place. 
You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs and deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with the bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous shout for joy, and all you upright in heart. That came after David was busted by Nathan the prophet. He had been caught in his transgressions, but David thoroughly, completely repents. And that, I think, is what made David a man after God's own heart. He was quick to repent. He was not like Saul, who made excuses for his sin. He repented of his sin. Set sin can paralyze us. It can make us where we don't confront sin in others when we see sin. Sin can bring forth all kinds of excuses. This is the way God made me, etc., etc. But David talks about how he went through all this trouble in his heart before he was even confronted. And when confronted, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. There was no delay. David knew what he had done. And he was quick to repent. And God was quick to assure him that he'd receive repentance. He'd receive forgiveness. But David still had to pay for his sins with the trouble in his family. All that to say this. Don't let sin keep you in its snare. We've all sinned. Paul said he was chief among sinners. That's because Paul didn't know me. <laughs> Why would Paul say that? And he said that in a time in his life when he was an apostle. And he wasn't speaking of his past sins. I am chief among sinners. He realized the holiness of God and he realized how he fell short. Don't let sin cripple you. We'll have people in the prayer area that would be happy to pray with you. But enjoy the freedom, the guiltless freedom of having your sins forgiven. Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, thank you for providing for us Jesus who takes away our sins. Lord, you've given us an opportunity not to only be saved and go to heaven, avoiding hell, but we can live guilt-free. Thank you for that. We don't have to carry our sins. And Lord, I pray 
for myself and I pray for your people that you would give them that assurance that their sin is forgiven. You had Nathan tell David, your sin has been put away. And Lord, by Jesus, you tell each of us, our sin has been put away. And if Jesus doesn't condemn us, the only one with the right to condemn, we have no one to condemn us. And we thank you for that. So may we enjoy the fullness of your forgiveness. And let it just change our attitude. Help us, Lord, not to transgress or purposefully sin ever again in our life. I'm sure David, in his repentance, made promises and vows to you that he would never do such sin again. But he learned he learned from his sin. And let us learn from our past sins, Lord. So help us. Help us to be sin-free. And when we do sin, help us to realize we have you, Jesus, to forgive us. And we pray for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>